where are we in dry? I mean, what are we what are we talking about at this point in dry? Um, so but- at this point, I believe we're around where uh, Ryan Gosling and uh, Irene, or Driver and Irene, are sort of getting in good with each other, and there's a cutesy moment where they drive um, to like a pond or something. Yeah, yeah. It's uh. <sighs> They 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 go on this sort of uh, idyllic pastoral visit to like a creek or uh, you which is know, funny because this... they're also driving and I'm just completely blank on what it's called but like the an Impala or no not the type what... of car where they're driving oh I don't the, know then the like uh, it's not an aqueduct but it, it's a uh, it's like a water runoff like where they. Those things they oh. build for the water, but I can't remember the fucking name of it. Reservoir? No. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's like a man-made concrete structure that is designed for water overflow during a rainy season in dry a areas. A dam? Or no, a... no, it's not. It's uh, just. It's a it's a word. Somebody. I mean, knows the problem it. is I'm thinking of like what it's called like in New Mexico, which is an arroyo, but that's like more of a maybe let's just say arroyo. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, well, but anyway, I mean, it is, you know, it's very clearly intended as a sort of contrast to the urban environment that they're traversing now. It's like happy romance montage, you know, beside the, you know, the stream and with the hanging leaves and everything. And I don't know. I mean, it definitely could feel a little cheesy in that way, but. I guess it's rooted in the same way um, of playing with those archetypes, you know, the, you know, guy meets girl, all of those things where... Yeah, I think this is where the 80s rom-com type feel comes in. And it's very, like, unabashedly romantic, which is sort of rare. I mean, I know I keep saying sort of rare in this episode, but, like, you know... A lot of romance stuff and contemporary filmmaking. It has to be drenched in irony, or yeah, it has cloaked, to be sort of disaffected. Cloaked in layers of, like, self-referentiality and irony. Whereas this is just, yes, oh, love at first sight, they're falling in, you know. Like, which yeah, is it's sort of that old Hollywood thing, where it's like, better or worse, you know, an older film, if it's a romance, it's like, boy meets girl, they fall in love. That's sort of yeah. it. And the audience accepts that you don't need to right, it doesn't explain. have to be like well what about <laughs> this and what and it's like it is also a movie it's a movie um but yes yeah, so it's also lit beautifully the sequence very like it's very bright and pastoral golden. in a weird way considering some of it is i'm driving in this like concrete like by the la river or whatever <laughs> yeah but they have this like a uh, golden sort of late afternoon sunlight and you know lots of uh, sunny quality. It's very nice. Um, it's a beautifully lit movie, by the way. Sometimes I do like subtly. the fact that they make the driver. He's like, he's very kind to Irene and her child. Yeah, he gets he's along like, with the kid. In a lot of action movies, it's just like I'm the tough guy and we're gonna fuck now and like. Yeah, yeah. No, he's a he's a warm and friendly guy. Like, kind I don't even of. know if we ever see them have sex, to be honest. No, they don't have sex. They only kiss once, actually, I believe. And, you know, that's so a Driver kiss you remember. So Driver is a fuckboy. No, I don't think he's a simp. Yeah, I don't know. You don't actually see him 
I mean, it's a short movie, shortish movie. I took it as it was implied they did, they just didn't want to show it. Uh, probably. Probably. I I mean, it's Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I'm misremembering. Maybe there's like a some sort of elliptical scene where they they sort of hide it uh but you know where they suggest it and then it cuts or something but um but yeah uh you know it's 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 a simple relationship it's not like some people will cry like character development or whatever but i don't need the backdrop to why these people like each other it's just you get you get the sense that ryan gosling is friendly and charming and it takes good care of the kid and she is just waiting for her husband well you know her husband isn't a a presence in her life that she right, can rely but very on. quickly she gets a phone call from his lawyer that he is getting home in a week and here is where i think in terms of plot development this actually is unique because yeah. i think in another film they might have had ryan gosling's character kind of go head to head with Oscar Isaac and like maybe kick his ass and like take back his love interest, Irene. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Oscar Isaac is standard. There is a great line where, uh, anyway, standard gets home. They throw him a big welcome home party. Yeah. Uh, and Ryan Gosling, I don't actually, he doesn't attend, but when we're in the party, no, he we, hears, he overhears he the music in the party. Oscar Isaac talks about how, when he met, or this might have been later, actually. I think it's later. It it's is later. later. But anyway, we find out he started dating Irene when she was actually like 17 or something. Yeah. So it yeah. wasn't even really legal. Um, but so the line was basically, he goes, I'm standard. And she goes, where's the deluxe model? Ha 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 ha. Everybody laughs in the and Everyone laughs in the plots. No, I mean, <laughs> it's a ref and film, so everyone just stares. <laughs> no, everybody just sits in solemn silence. And stares at the her. ground and maybe does a micro <laughs> smile. Yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, the thing is, it would have been very easy to paint this guy as, like, you know, standard as, like, the bad guy or the romantic rival or something, but no, like... No, he's, like, a decent enough guy, he's just gotten mixed up with people, and we find out quickly that's spilled over from prison into his daily life, a driver gets home and he sees these thugs leaving... Um, I, I use that in the traditional sense. They are, I believe they're white. Um, yeah, no, no racial connotation. It's not a racial thing. They're literally supposed to be like movie toughs. Yeah. But in a yeah. less racist way. Um, but <laughs> so he goes and he sees that uh, Standard has gotten the shit beaten out of him and his kid is there and he, he takes the kid upstairs and finds out from Standard that basically he had been paying or someone had been giving him protection, but they wanted protection money in prison. And then when he left, the the amount skyrocketed. So now they want him to pay him like hundred thousand or something crazy. Yeah, something wild. Yeah, like a forty thousand. Really, a lot of money um, that he doesn't have. So, long story short, like basically, he needs to rob a bank to get uh, a pawn shop or something. Yeah, he I needs forget. to rob this pawn shop to get the money to these people. And if they don't, they will come for his wife and child. So the driver, who obviously has a personal interest in the matter, is like, I'll be the driver for you. <laughs> right, um, because he he fell in love with Irene. And, he, and he he's wants at least very fond her. of Irene and her kid, and he doesn't want them to get hurt. So it's I think it's less for standard 
and more for Irene. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's still, you know, I mean, I don't think he hates Standard. No, I don't, you know, I didn't get the sense of, like, for lack of a better word, like, there's no dick swinging contest between them over Irene. Which They're I do com- think is unique because I, I, it's hard for me to think of a film where it's like, you know, the love interest ex-boyfriend gets out of prison and guy's just like, all right, I'll help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, I mean, they're, they're not, it's not a, the driver isn't really friendly with anyone except Irene and her child, but, um, it's not a hostile relationship and you don't get, you get the sense that you feel that the driver recognizes that he doesn't have a a place in their life beyond, you know, sort of like you get the sense that he wants them to be out of this business. So they're not hurt, but he isn't going to try and like subsume any role, you know, and that's obviously important in the end as well. But, um, so, I mean, it's not, you know, I did appreciate that where it didn't go, it didn't go maybe the old Hollywood route in this case of, you know, uh, you know, the guy who comes back from prison is like an abusive husband or something, and the driver has to rescue her from, you know, this bad guy. He's just a guy that is in a lot of trouble, and the driver helps him, which is nice. Um, yes, but very quickly, this does not, you know, it's it's pretty much sketchy from Jump, like, driver meets with the guy, and the guy is a total who's arranging everything as a total douchebag and yeah. he's like hey take my girlfriend with you randomly and she's like okay yeah it's not uh played by very... christina hendrix as um as blanche who does yeah. a good job considering she has very little to do in this movie yeah it was it she got the role because uh Refn's wife saw pictures of her thought oh my god she's a beautiful woman and then said to her husband, you should cast her as this role. And that's how she got cast. Um, but yeah. she does a good job. Yeah, she does a good job. She's a good um, actress. And I, I don't know if I've seen her in anything else. I mean, I have the to... main, you know, Mad Men was what she got really big from. But she, I don't know that she's obviously had roles. But like, you know, I, I hesitate to think of any roles like this acclaimed. Maybe she had right. them. I can't think of right. them. Right. I don't see it, anything. I, I mean, mean, I know she was in Bad Santa too, but like in terms <laughs> of like actual good movies, she was in the Neon Demon. Apparently, was um, she? I forgot. She was a supporting role as I'm checking the cast. Uh, Roberta Hoffman. Mm. I don't know if that name means anything to you, but uh, she's in the movie. Apparently, oh, right. I forgot actually. Uh, uh, but yeah, anyway, she's good. She's good. She's for good. Her but brief. yeah, so basically, they go for the job. Standard goes in to rob this pawn shop. And for the record, it's supposed to be like 40 grand or something. Yeah. And he leaves it's... with this huge duffel bag of money. Yeah. He's very quickly shot and killed. And yeah. we see this what... other car that shows up um, that seems like, you know, very quickly driver realizes it's going to be a double cross. So, um Yeah. So he so gets, he gets the he hell gets, out of there. I mean, um, Blanche grabs the money, gets in the yeah. car, and then driver takes off. And this is when we get our more traditional uh, chase scene, which is still pretty thrilling and yeah, everything. No, it works. I mean, when I say traditional, I just mean in the sense of like one car chasing another. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, 
it's not the sort of slower or more uh, delicately developed thing that we see in um at the start of the film. I think this is the only really conventional chase scene in the movie. It is, I mean, but it's done well. It's all practical. Oh yeah, no, it's very impressive and everything. It it just makes me think, again, I don't mean to drive the point home because I already stated it and other people have stated it many times before me, but there isn't a lot of driving, so when it happens, they make sure it's memorable, like it's it's well staged and shot and the editing is great um but yeah not a lot of driving it's just really two memorable driving scenes and then the rest is i think the title is more referring to the character like that's his whole life as he drives like and maybe the pace you know at times it's sort of slow and uh cruising and then other times it's like you know fast and thrilling somebody was it was like there's this letterbox review where it was like a you know, basically, what this movie was missing is that, you know, in the middle of the film, he should have just stopped at a gas station and gotten a snack and thought about everything <laughs> that was going on, like, and then then pick it up again. And I, you know, sort of little contemplative drive-related <laughs> moments, but uh, it's it's good, uh, regardless. It the is scene... good. This is the scene, by the way, I was talking about earlier where. There's a, you know, the car that's chasing them, you see it like hit a thing and sort yeah. of lift off the ground. But that, I think that was supposed to fly like across the entire road. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. but instead they kind of do this cutaway to Christina Hendricks's face and that sort of gives you the emotional uh, beat of the end of the scene. Right. And she's got a great, I mean, her, her terror is very, well, she uh, should convincing. be scared. She's about to get her head blown off, but, um, yeah. Which is it's, okay. So this is this is one of my favorite parts of the film because it's it's where the film goes from being a regular or more or less art house regular sort of action film, yeah, to just like insane pants. Yeah, yeah. No, because it's this like is they're where... in this hotel room and um, driver. This is like also the first time we see him. We can see that he can snap. Yeah, yeah, uh, no. He's he's menacing um Blanche and he's like this was a setup like who who you've been working with and he just slaps the shit out of her like it's really jarring. Yeah, it's it's shocking for the audience and really well because we've we've taken great care for this first hour or so maybe it's less to show him as this very caring and affectionate and like you know he's a dr- he's a criminal but he doesn't carry a gun and he just likes to drive yeah you know, and he's, he he's quiet he doesn't have much of a, a personality or even evidently will for most of the movie but right but this is the first time like he fucking backhands a woman like, yeah hard yeah. and he and then just basically menaces on top of her and then it gets worse from there she goes to the bathroom <laughs> And and there's this amazing, oh my God, this guy with the shotguns through the glass shoots her in the head and just, oh my God, this effect is so disgusting. Spray of blood everywhere. Just like, just insane. Like the head literally just explodes. Just Yeah, it's which is, I assume, what happens um, if you get yeah, shot. Yeah, but I mean, that's where 
I think I told you off air. I was like, so that's the Texas Chainsaw right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's I there is a a strong element of I don't know, like not quite horror or exploitation or I just grind think ultra test. violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was funny. Um, Refn did like this criterion top you know the criterion top tens where yeah the 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 collection just assembles famous people and they pick their favorite movies yeah uh, and a lot of them are at least three or four or five of them are horror movies um and for videodrome like the only thing he had to say about videodrome it was like usually they say like a few sentences he just said about videodrome quote this film is a great mixture of sex and violence. That that was all he had to say about it. Um, and you can see that in... Yeah, also, what's like, funny about Refn, too, is for someone who seems so normcore, he's very... He's very punk rock at times. I mean, yeah. like, his attitude especially, he, it seems like he goes out of his way to be kind of a prick sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's this whole interview with William Friedkin. Oh. He spends a whole fucking hour-long interview going, so I am a young version of you. Wow. <laughs> and But he says it like 10 times. That's and funny. And Friedkin just goes more nuts. Like, who said you were a young version of me? <laughs> He's like, I did because I am a young version of you. It's ridiculous. I mean, he uh, that that's another Gaspar Noe type thing is being an asshole in interviews sometimes. Um, but yeah, I mean... I don't know how much of it is just him, by the way, being Danish or what. I don't but. know. I mean... Certainly. Well, Mads Mikkelsen is Danish, I think, too. So that's not that doesn't hold up because he's very nice. There's a diminishing. Um, I mean, I feel like every time on the show, multiple times an episode, I make sweeping claims about the state of the modern film industry. But here's another one. I'm gonna do it again. It's fine. That's why you make a film podcast to say uh, outlandish shit. Uh, but like, I do feel like those sort of strong director personalities are diminished in you know contemporary. Well, I mean, you can sort of see why. You take somebody like James Gunn, who's more or less a strong personality, and then you know he gets a bigger role, and they like go back to his Twitter from like. Well, uh, 15 that's years just, ago where he made a child molestation joke and suddenly he's fired. As soon as uh as soon as you get to a certain level of exposure, <laughs> uh, somebody will find something to take you down. But, I mean, to be fair, he does work for Disney, so I guess that's yeah. particularly egregious. Yeah, but um like, you know, like it's just because I feel like uh I don't know, in so many ways I mean, I feel like this with a lot of artists with, you know, visual artists, like directors, painters, um, authors. I think I feel like this especially with authors. Right. Authors back in the day, you had people like Hunter S. Thompson, you got Stephen King, people that were, Clive Barker, you know, like loud personalities that weren't afraid to be loud. Now, I mean, like, no offense to my peers, but it's like, <laughs> you get a huge book and... And I get it. You don't want to piss anybody off, so you're more or less... What about the days when, like, people would just... I mean, authors and directors used to be fucking rock stars, dude. Yeah, they would literally tell complete absurd lies in many interviews. And now that's sort of (laughs) mostly actors, I think. 
Yeah, well, actors like at least Robert Pattinson tells like the clown car story, and it's just total bullshit. But you, but know. you see, sort of that again, almost old Hollywood thing with Nicholas Winding Refn, where yeah. he'll he'll just like he clearly pisses off William Friedkin. Like I don't think it's a joke in this interview. Like yeah. Friedkin starts yelling. <laughs> yeah, well, I gotta watch this then because that sounds funny, and Friedkin. I don't know. Friedkin sort of has Friedkin's a fun- a loud personality too. There's a great moment where he's like, Reffin says of Only God Forgives. You know, Only God Forgives was a masterpiece, and they just cut to William Friedkin, and he just goes, <laughs> "Yeah, okay." Yeah, I, <laughs> it's I. I find Friedkin sort of a funny personality in the sense that you know, I really loved Cruising, right? But then I watched the Cruising uh, special features, and it sounds like half of the time. William Friedkin didn't even know what he was doing, like while making the movie, which is funny. I mean, but I mean, I think the funniest thing. I, there's another one with William Friedkin. Mm-hmm. This is tangents the episode. Um, <laughs> another interview with William Friedkin and Nicholas Winding Refn, and uh, at one point Refn says, um, "I noticed that with David," and William Friedkin goes, "Date who? David who? He's oh David Lynch." And he's like, "David." Who calls him just David? There's like a million Davids. Yeah. And he starts ripping on him the rest of the interview. And he's like, well, when I talk to David. Um, I was, I think before. Friedkin and Reffin. I was discussing um, Friedkin and Reffin, who have a good rapport together. But yeah, and you know, Reffin, I have said on numerous occasions off air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe wrongly so, that he's sort of a douche. Yeah, no, no, no. But that's sort of, I think, what he's going yeah, for. Yeah, that's that's a valid character to play. Not not always the most beloved one. I'll say this, man. It's easier to play a douche than someone who's Yeah, likeable. no, that's true. That's true. And sometimes more interesting, honestly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, okay. We got to, much like the second half of Driver, we have to pick up the pace. So <laughs> It's true. Also, you keep saying Driver. driver my my drive. God, I'm sorry. Okay. I, I, it's it's right. such... Well, no, but to be fair, Driver is the name of yeah, the Yeah, Driver, Drive, Drive. I mean, it's just getting jumbled in my head. It is. But anyway, so yeah, like, you know, we're taking a lot of aside. So anyway, <laughs> back to the, the main road. Um, so yeah, um, Blanche gets her head blown off. Uh, this really gloriously violent scene where the guys come in and I think at one point Driver just takes a pipe and smashes it through this dude's chest to kill yeah, him. Yeah, very violent. It's very over the top, yeah. And then he shoots the other guy after he seizes the shotgun. So, yeah, I mean, it's very... Um... And it, I think it's all the more jarring because we've had almost an hour of film before this where even though he's been in these situations with criminals, there's been no violence. yeah. It it really kicks things into another gear. And it's like, yeah, from that point on, it's like ultraviolence is just on the table. And I think it works. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good to up those stakes in a way that, okay, now we know what type of movie this can be if it yeah, chooses Yeah, but to. so anyway, very quickly we realize, um, or Driver realizes that it's not 40 grand this guy's taken. It's a million dollars. Yeah. And it's from the money. mob because they were storing it at this one pawn shop. Right, 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 right. And it also comes back around because it turns out the money is, uh, it's from people that Nani and, uh, Bernie know. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I forget, I mean, it's what, it... It's basically like the East Coast mob that has ties to Bernie and, um, Nani. 
Nino, I think. Or sorry, Nino. <laughs> um, they, yeah, close enough. But uh, I mean, they—it's—it's it's very important to them, so they can't lose track of it. Um, so obviously, now the uh, the mob is is on driver's tail. Um, they are, and they go to Shannon um, basically to try to flush driver out. And it's very, I don't know, it's a very sad scene because Bernie, who was established to be, like, friends with Shannon, shows up. Right. When Shannon, you know, Driver's already told him, like, you need to leave, like, I have this money and they're just going to kill you. Yeah. And Bernie shows up and he's just like, I'm sorry, man, like, I just have to do this. But he talks about, like, man, it would have been so great if we did the race car thing. I was so excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. it's a good performance because you get the sense like he really was like, I don't think he wanted to have any of this shit happen. But at the end of the day, you know, but at the end, you know, business he's a, is business. He's a mobster and it's a business and there is business associates. So he has to show them that people are going to pay. And it's an oddly for someone who murders someone. It's a weirdly touching, like he basically just hits Brian Cranston along the arm with a straight razor. Yeah. And he's like, that's it. That's all. Like, it's just, there's no more pain now. That's it. Yeah, it's over. One and done. You know. And it's it's a very, it's menacing, but also it's like, it's almost nurturing. Because it's like, you get the sense he is a really decent, not decent, but, but he's a good friend. Yeah, you know? he doesn't want to be this guy, but he, he chooses to be this guy for for Yeah, his but reasons, so he tries but... to kill him in a way that's the least painful way you can think of. Right, right. And it's, um, I mean, there's some other stuff that happens before that scene because that comes a little later. But yeah, yeah. I mean, in contrast young. to some of the other murder scenes uh, that we see, it's much more understated and tender. Tender is a weird word, but you know. But it is. It's like he kind of like hugs him and he's like, it's okay, it's okay. Like, that's it. Right, right, right. But let's talk about this. So. First off, the the driver's first thing is that he goes to a strip club and finds the mobster and basically... Oh, he, he comes in with a hammer. And he whacks him with uh, on the fingers with the hammer, which is rather graphic. It's actually not graphic. You don't even see the impact, I think. But, you know, you get the, you get the owl. Yeah, you um, get the sense his fingers are all fucked up. And you, you know, he force feeds him this bullet. The bullet, that... yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention. So, one of the more menacing things these people do after they beat up Standard earlier in the film is they give his kid this bullet and tell him to hold on to it. Yeah. So yeah. obviously, Driver isn't thrilled about that because that's not a cool move. Giving some little kid a bullet and being like, "Hold on to this." Yeah, no. So he no, shoves no. the bullet in this guy's mouth. Yeah, it's gross. Um, and he's like, at one point, he's like, he's lining up like he's gonna hammer the bullet into his head. Yeah, uh, it's gross. I mean, th- he threatens with the hammer a lot, and you do flinch because you know that the film now is willing to do that if, you know, if it wants to. But um, right. But so he gets the information on whose money it is. Yeah, and they basically, you know. Um, basically a hitman is sent for the driver. Um, you know, I think the driver calls, uh, Nino or Bernie at one point and... I believe he calls Nino 
at the pizzeria and says, like, I have your money. I can just give it to you. Um, I can just give it to you. And Nino turns him down. And sends a hitman instead. Right. And Bernie's, ri- I mean, I again, Albert Brooks is sort of like an unsung hero in this movie because he, he provides sort of this oddly oddly empathetic character for someone who's a terrible mobster who kills people. Right, 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 right. Because he, he's telling, like, he's telling Ron Perlman's character, like, why? Why didn't you just take the money? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's... I mean, it is, uh... Because I think also Bernie is maybe more aware than Ron Perlman's character is that the driver is actually something of a threat like you know maybe right because he's met him whereas uh, nino i don't think yeah. he has um but anyway the the hitman that goes after him certainly doesn't fare too well in that no and it's this great scene and again i know i keep cutting back to interviews but i don't know i listen to a lot of reference interviews and he says so he said when he talks with noah about how he called him to get the information he says but my scene starts with a kiss yeah and it does there's this very passionate kiss one of the only ones in the film between i think it is the, uh, irene, the only one actually it might be the only one yeah between irene and driver and it's like you know they like up the saturation and it's very warm it's and slow-mo too so slow-mo and then stomp. he turns around and just stomps this guy's face into mush yeah, and it isn't so... I had heard about the irreversible connection prior to watching this, and I was expecting it to be more like more like that, but it isn't quite like that. It's just a very... The thing is, Refn's version is a very quick cut of it, as opposed yeah. to holding on it. So his version is more of a... I mean, it's not traditional Hollywood because of the ultraviolence, but it is traditional in terms of not favoring it. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's like... <laughs> Again, this is not a chastisement of the film. It's, it still feels very stylized. I mean, it's it, it's brutal and harsh, and it shocks you. But it shocks you in a way that you know it doesn't like it doesn't force you to sit with it in the same way a thirty, you know, thirty fire uh, fire extinguishers to the head does force you to sit with it. Right. Yeah, and also, the purpose is different because the purpose is basically just to. To show that, like, so from that moment on, after Irene sees this insane violence he's capable of, like, their relationship is over. Yeah, she she can't look at him in any... Right, and she leaves the elevator and he just stays. And that's sort of, like... That's sort of the rest of the film is, like, him protecting her, but, like, he's never going to be able to be with her again. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's exposed that that darkness that is, uh too heavy to you can't be in a relationship with a person who could do something like that i guess if you're if you're a single yeah, and mother i mean the real irony is like she has a husband or yeah i think a husband yeah oscar isaac who went to prison yeah you assume for something violent something she's but then it's like this innocuous guy who's her neighbor is like so much worse yeah i don't know why he goes to prison it says she it's never specified but i i assumed it was some sort of armed robbery or maybe assault or something like that she says got he got in an accident and then said something about like drunk kids or something so i i don't know i mean you get the sense that but probably they keep it vague i think and it's probably for the best because if we had gotten a specific reason you might not have 
had as much sympathy for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then you get like, you know, basically uh, some, uh, I don't know what I was about to say, uh, but but you get the sense that it's not, you know, stomping somebody's head <laughs> level of violence. It was not stomping head levels, no. And I think that's when she kind of sees the whole of Ryan Gosling for the first time in this film, because she'd only seen the nurturing, loving side. And now she sees... She hadn't seen the part that would stomp a guy's head in. Right, right, right. So that ends their relationship. That ends their relationship, and then from here on out... He's like a... There's this really creepy... We go back to the weird um, mask yeah that he wore during the stunt driving and he puts it on and i think this is really masterfully done um i think another film he would have shown up at this party at the pizzeria a pizza party (laughs) (laughs) but anyway he would have shown up with the mask and would have just broken in and like maybe killed everybody or something that's not what he does he goes in or he goes up to the window to see who everyone is and then he goes back to the car and waits until, um, is it Nino? I Nino. keep wanting to say Nani. Nino. Nino no. leaves and he follows him and Nino's getting driven and he kind of hits his car. He fender bends the car so it's on the side of the road. And then he comes by and just completely T-bones the thing off of a cliff. Yeah, the car is his weapon, you know. He doesn't, I like how it keeps it around the car. Um. But and then he basically sort of stalks him out to the sea. And it's and, very and drowns horror him. movie. Yeah, he's got this very unsettling, like it's it's it, like a slasher mask. Yeah, because it if you looks like it. a person only from far away. The closer you get, the more you realize it is a mask, and there's someone under it. Yeah, yeah. You've he's kind of assumed this. Uh, serial killer almost like a avenging angel yeah but so nino understandably is uh, like he's hurt but he's also freaked out so he like runs into the ocean and all you see is basically ryan gosling come up and start you know holding his head underwater but it's 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 weirdly sort of somber and understated you know compared to the other deaths in this movie it's like you know it the shot is from a distance, and it's dark, and it slow dissolves. It doesn't, uh... I mean, I think it works, though, too, because, like, Nino is enormous. I just don't know, other than shooting him, yeah. if a uh, driver would have been able to take him? But, yeah, I, I don't know, I mean... But after a car accident, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... There's also a scene we skipped over involving that bald mobster where he gets stabbed in the eye with a like a fork and then gets a Oh right cuz he goes to Nino and he's explaining what happened and um Bernie's just very upset and at one point Bernie sort of does this really subtle like sort of like huh like thing to Nino who goes okay yeah like, it's a real small nod, and then he goes over and stabs him with a fork. Yeah, which I think that is a counterpoint to the tenderness he shows to Shannon. But well, because that's a very like that's a very like you are not my friend. Yeah, like, you're just a shitty yeah, business associate. He recognizes that Shannon was a maybe a good guy on some level. Uh, right, but this is like you're basically the reason I had to just kill one of my good friends, and the reason like my this race car thing fell apart and the reason i gotta kill these people i don't really want to yeah so it's just very brutal um and sadistic but so anyway so uh 
you know, we're moving toward the end, uh, and he basically, he calls Irene, and, you know, he says that, you know, he's not coming back, but, you know, she was the, the light of his life or whatever, and then he meets with Bernie. It, it, it's sort of... At a Chinese food restaurant. Yeah, it ties itself up pretty, you know, quickly in a way. I, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't overstay. It, it doesn't draw these scenes it, out or anything. Yeah, no, it's a it's a tight film. I, li- I sort of like that. I agree. Because especially if you've watched other Refn films, they're not yeah, necessarily yeah. that tight. Yeah, but it... Um, but it's a, it's a good scene because it's intercutting them at this Chinese restaurant, sitting across from each other at the table, and they're just... Having this conversation that seems pleasant enough, but you know the backstory and you know underneath is this fucking like rage and resentment. And then it's intercut with with them going out to the parking lot, um, which I liked because it, you know, intercutting with them in the dinner, in the diner or whatever, and then going out, um, it gives a sense that they already both know how this is going to go, like, exactly. Right, they're, like, having this polite conversation, but at the back of their minds, they both know, like, I'm going to try to kill you, you're going to try to kill me. And that's what happens. Bernie stabs the driver after getting the money, and then the driver stabs back. They both have knives on them. And it does it interestingly. It has a shot of their shadows sort of grappling, um... And the thing about it is you can't quite tell who's who, so it it gives just the sense of this sort of primal conflict of just people hurting each other in a way, and one of the shadows drops to the ground, and, you know, it's a question of, like, who who do you think it is who, who lived through that? Um, obviously, it's the driver, um, although I don't know if it, it's... 100% shown that Bernie, like, dies in the scene? Uh, there's a scene of him actually um, laying in the parking lot next to them, bag of money. Yeah, so... So, so I took that as implying that he was dead. Yeah, but uh, the driver... He might have lived, but I, I, I'm pretty sure the shadow shows Gosling cutting his throat. Yeah, oh yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, so I think that's. I think it's implied that he got killed. And yeah, we, we cut back to the very, you know bouncy real human being or whatever yeah it's called, that song, song which i'm probably going to end this episode with oh because yeah it's so Dude. much a part of the film it, it also under 30 seconds so i don't get <laughs> yeah um, they used that earlier during the uh romantic montage yeah it's sort of like they, it's they cut back to it when they're i mean not to be too literal but when driver is being a real human being yeah wink See, maybe that was Refn's intention. Maybe he was suggesting something by choosing that song. Who knows? But um, but yeah, it's interesting because... Well, I, I took it as, you know, the ending of this film, I think... I think ultimately the end of this film shows that Driver is a hero, but, but I guess in a oddly realistic way. In a way that he can't be in, a normal human being, you know? Like, that's the trade-off. Is right, the... like, this is the way he's able to protect irene and we see irene and she's like sort of like goes to his door and knocks and he doesn't answer and but it's it's how he's able to save irene who he's had this human connection with and it's it's the way he knows how which is just to like use ultra violence and use his driving skills and yeah ultimately to just leave yeah disappear 
into the night just like at the start of the film and i I do like that it's vague about whether he lives or dies yeah what what do you think do you think he lives i don't know i mean so he gets drive two which is probably for the best drive two. imagine what that would be like oh my god he's just got a beard and he lives in detroit he drives a different type of car this time i don't know like uh, (laughs) whatever but um it's like i don't know i mean I do like the image. He has the stab wound, and you don't get the sense that, you know, wisely the film doesn't show the driver, like, going to the hospital or something stupid like that, because that would take you right out of it. But um, this sort of, again, very old Hollywood or... Yeah, he more or less... I, I don't he sort of during the day, but he drives off into the sunset. He drives into the night, and you get the sense of uneasiness that he's wounded, but, like... You know, he it just sort of fits in a way that he's this eternally marginal, shadowy figure that, you know, is anonymous and just sails away. You know, it, it's good. It's a good ending. Um, the only way it could have ended, really. I mean, if it had ended with him dying, I think it would have just... I think it would have been too bleak, maybe. I mean, I think part of the reason people love this film is because, uh, I mean, for better or worse... I know a lot of high art people talk about how, oh, you shouldn't do like happy endings and you shouldn't give the people what they want. But it's like, guess what? People like what they like and they like a happy ending or a vague ending sometimes. I don't think it's 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 not so much a happy ending as it's just not a sad ending. Well, it's an ending that allows the sort of mystique of the driver to preserved. Like if he had lived and settled down with Irene, then it would be lame. He wouldn't be cool. <laughs> and if he had died, then he just becomes... It might have been a little too harsh and you would have been like, that was Well, also just become... He becomes mortal in a way that you'd... Whereas if he just drives off into... The, this is a film very much about the allure of its sort of central subject, which is a very romanticized image of this sort of double life marginal criminal sort of shadowy stylish figure that you know he's not he shouldn't if he died or lived it would reduce him to you know the status of just an ordinary person whereas right this ending allows him to basically be immortal it allows you to keep that sort of uh allure and glamour that you wouldn't have gotten the other way which is like if he dies or if he lives it's all off screen the the film is all about that glamour even the plot exists to serve it which is part of why it's so fun and so beloved i would imagine is that you know it's a, again, style over substance isn't a bad thing. And this is a film very much about style and, you know, atmosphere and just sort of uh, luxuriating in this. Even though it is a very tight and taut thriller, it, it's, it's very much about the sort of um, cinematic surface and mystique of the world it creates and the characters it shows to us. So that's part of why, you know it's obviously had such a cultural impact and it's part of why I, you know, bringing it to an end, I guess I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, I mean, I don't think it's, it's not like a personal, you know, favorite or masterpiece in my eyes, but it's, it's a very, it's entertaining. It's cool. It's, you know, great soundtrack, great lighting, 
good performances, costumes, obviously. I love the jacket, you know, all of it. It's all... It's a very iconic jacket. All finely tuned, and everything feels right in this film. Like, there doesn't feel like... Outside of maybe, like, I don't know. I mean, there's not much I would change about it in terms of, uh, you know details because it it gets the details right and it feels it feels like it accomplishes its goals so i really liked it um i know you like it obviously i like it and i'm also a refn fan but i think what's interesting about drive is that it is sort of you know it has the through lines with his other films but it's also very different in terms of like tone because like I mean, like Bronson, I love Bronson, but that's sort of a downer ending. Valhalla Rising, I believe it's sort of a vague, but also sort of a downer ending. Uh, friggin' Too Old to Die Young is just like depressing the show. Yeah, wow, okay. And also it's a bunch of unlikable <laughs> characters. Uh, like the cop in Too Old to Die Young is like, he literally is sleeping with a teenager. Yeah, wow, okay. But then he's also sort of supposed to be your hey. hero, but he's also terrible and ultra-violent wow. and a crooked cop to boot. Well, that's... So the thing about this film is that... Excuse me. It, it, it feels like... It is a very, like, audience-friendly movie. Like, it wants to be a fun time for the audience, you know, and it doesn't... It's not an alienating or inaccessible movie, and I guess some of the violence might be harsh, but really, it's a movie that is about, you know, a fun sort of fantasy for the audience to indulge in for, you know, an hour and 40 minutes, and uh, I really do wish that, you know, we speak about being accessible to audiences sometimes as if it's like a negative, but it isn't. It just means that... You should do it with quality and craft, and that's what Drive does. It it doesn't talk down to you. It, it tries to, but it, it tries to invite you into this environment, which is. Uh, I mean, I just think in terms of an action film, I mean, definitely one of the best action films over the last ten years. Oh yeah, I mean, one of the best action films for me. Although I haven't seen too many, so that's hard to judge. The thing about action, like I love, like my favorites are stuff like. Uh, die hard but again it's it's sort of similar in that there's characterization that you get that it's like concerned about story and um character yeah whereas there's a lot of action films that they know oh we have i don't know vin diesel so you're going to show up either way and you just want to see vin diesel blowing things yeah. up. yeah 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 but like drive what I like about Drive is like it tries to be a good movie first and then an action movie almost. Well, the, the action develops naturally from the atmosphere. I mean, I, I have no doubt that part of it was like, okay, we want some really cool chase scenes, but it. Right, and they you have rec- those, and there's some cool, like, you know, action movie guy yeah, scenes. Yeah, but it recognizes that those moments how those moments have to be built, you know, and what makes those moments memorable and special in a movie more so than in, I don't know, a Fast and the Furious movie where it's just all chases and technology and just, you know, empty spectacle here. It yeah, more or Well, less. I mean, I haven't, I know you're watching the franchise. I've seen, all, <laughs> I've seen basically everyone now and yes, more or less, that uh, is true. But yeah, no, I mean, Drive is like, it's tight, it's well-constructed, it's a strong script, if not, like, an especially rich in, like, uh, 
character detail or anything. It's still very like compelling and you know, I I I wish more modern films took this approach. Um I think that's my ultimate takeaway is you know, you can do this filmmakers. I mean, I would argue somebody like Ari Aster did sort of do this with Hereditary. Yeah, he- and that's why Hereditary went over so well. Funny and side note. The whole elevated. Ari Aster is a yeah. huge Alex. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Albert Brooks fan. He's just a huge Albert Brooks fan. I wanted to mention that earlier. Doesn't show in his movies. I mean, isn't his next movie going to be a comedy? I don't know. Apparently, it's an, a decade-spanning biopic starring Joaquin Phoenix called Disappointment Boulevard or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds interesting. I'm sort of interested in seeing him do a non-horror movie because I think that would be, you know, I want to see him try out some different tricks. No, and he does have, oddly, Ari Aster, he's very funny in his horror films. I just don't know that everybody always understands that he's being yeah, funny. I, like, I feel like that ending scene in Midsommar with the yeah. bear, like, that is downright darkly It's comedic. It's a spoof on... It's just this image of this, like, like fucking 20 year old dude like what in, in a yeah. bear suit while he's burning he's, alive i think that is a deliberate spoof on Nicolas cage and the wicker man like i i can't think that you know he he watched like folk horror movies and the remake of the wicker I man i mean the scene where that guy is also having sex with the woman impregnating her and there's like these naked women around him going like yeah and like pushing his butt in like that no, is funny. it is uh, and the I I've seen interviews with him. I saw him in person once and he he talks about Midsommar especially like it's a comedy. Um Hereditary is if it's a comedy, it's like a very 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 dark comedy, but um yeah, I mean like that ending shot of the headless thing floating into the clubhouse. I mean, I found yeah. that hilarious, but I don't know if it was supposed well, to be. He has a sense of humor about his films. Um and, you know, the director's cut of Midsommar is even more overt. Yeah, I did watch that recently. Do you, do, there's a great Ari Aster cameo where, um, I, I just want to talk about this because I know, uh, but, he, you know, Mark is listening to this podcast while just waiting around, and the podcast is Ari Aster talking about how a woman, like, bit a man's dick off when they went over a speed bump or something like that. It's been a while. But there's a lot of humor sprinkled throughout that movie. I mean, this is getting back into my national campaign to try to end Roadhead. Yeah, end Roadhead. You've, just you've spoken. <laughs> because seriously, I've... Th- it's not even the, there's been multiple movies where people are getting roadhead and then some accident happens and the dick is just off. Yeah, yikes. And it's just so preventable. Fortunately, the driver never tries roadhead in this film. No, he doesn't. Either to give or receive. Nor does he get into car crashes for his sexual gratification, which we also are against, as we spoke about last time with Yes, Gemma. no, don't get into car crashes to try to... Bust a nut, and please don't, you know, roadhead safely, <laughs> like, under 10 miles an hour, and or just park, you know, there's lots of places to park. But, uh, I guess, I guess this is a good note, too, uh. Yeah, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to keep going on this, so yeah, Drive, I would say, go watch it, um, I can't remember where, I don't know if I paid to rent this. I or paid, I, I, can't, I paid to rent, um. I think I don't think it's available anywhere for free. That's for sure. Uh, unless you 
and don't do this wink wink illegally stream it or download it somewhere but uh don't do that i mean i would <laughs> buy it like i don't know if there's a criterion but oh, I would it could go it could, i think it could go in there honestly it's it's a very i mean it won't because it's too profitable i assume for the studio i don't know man there was um there's been a couple that were fairly big yeah. but yeah it needs to be a while yeah you know? um but yeah it it's i was expecting honestly to like this less than i did but i i liked it a lot and i'm glad you liked it because this would have been really awkward to talk about if you yeah, didn't no, like it because i like no, it I, I i didn't um i didn't it didn't like i don't love it but i, I really liked it well honestly i don't think i love yeah. it either. i mean it's not even i think it's one of my favorite Reffin films but it's not one of my favorite films right, of all right, time right. but it's good it's a solid movie um i think it's got my secret husband ryan gosling <laughs> yeah in it. um and 10 years on, I mean, it's 10 years now. Um, it has been 10 years. Yeah, that's so, crazy. The craziest thing to me about this movie is it seems like it was made like two yeah, years ago. But 10 years, I think that's enough time to, to be able to say that it's a, it's a contemporary classic. So watch it. Like, I would recommend this to anyone, honestly. So Yeah, it is very accessible. So yeah, with that... I mean, we've all, we've talked about this for now more than two hours. It's probably going to be a two-parter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's a great film. Go watch it. Uh, real quickly, we are on Twitter at CelluloidSits, anchor.fm slash CelluloidSits. We're on YouTube. I'm going to try to be updating the YouTube more. I know I say this all the time. Mm-hmm. One thing, one huge thing is I can no longer do my joke about not updating the Patreon because I did finally oh. add one of my essays up onto there. Oh, wow. Chris Burke might be writing an essay if you want to do one. Oh, I could do one. I mean... Obviously be arranged. It's a little easier, I think, in between. Just doing episodes is hard because it's like every episode we do, I kind of... I'm like, oh, I, I should post it. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. Uh, but I do want to do the torture porn thing at some point with Chris Burke. Eventually. That'll be... And put it up on the Patreon. It's yep. going to be and, um, so spectacular when we talk about torture porn. Every, all of you, you're going to be blown away by our... <laughs> and and this will probably be a little bit, but I'm planning on making hats, like baseball hats, hats. Uh, with the logo on them. Hats. And once those are ready, yeah, those will be for sale and uh, you can... eventually get some t-shirts going, maybe some winter hats and all sorts of good stuff, so... Stay tuned for that because that would really help me out. Yes, because that actually makes me money. You want to help Sean out, don't you? Like, are you a monster? Like, I like, mean, I'm gonna get the proof in a couple months or whatever. But they look like nice hats. So you, you'll get to wear your love for uh, what I think we can both agree is probably the single best podcast about film. You get to wear it um, ever made. Yes. No. I mean, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> certainly. And uh, that you also get to support Sean, who's you know, if you don't want to support Sean, then you're you're kind of a monster. So, I mean, you don't want to be a monster, right? You you want to support Sean, so. And you want to support me and, yeah. I mean, that's so, yeah, it. I think that's going to wrap it up. Um, <laughs> don't be a monster, support me. Weird ending. Mom. No. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so that's going to wrap it up for Celluloid Citizens. I'm Sean M. Thompson. I'm Brian O'Connell. And yeah, be a real human being. And this is where that song will start to cut in. <laughs> <laughs>